So this is Application Paranoia, Episode 7. So welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. So in this week's episode, we're going to continue our story on continuous security, talk about what's in AppScan news, and really looking forward to later in the in this, this session having an interview with, with our Vice President of Product Management, Raj Iyer. I have with me, as always, I have Chris Dewar and Rob Cuddy, better known as Shylock and, and Potter, <laughs> if you listen to our last episode. <laughs> if not, you have no idea what we're talking about. No, and it doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> so Rob, how are you doing? You know, it's uh, it's going interestingly enough. You know, we finally sort of had, obviously we've all been impacted, right, by the pandemic and everything, but it kind of hit home for us in a really fun way this last week where... Um, you know, my son was set to go and uh, start practice, and that was going to be on a Monday, and it was at 6 o'clock at night, um, so they were doing it. It gets a little warm out here, so they were going to do it under the lights and everything. So he leaves the house, heads out, and at 4.36 p.m., we get a notice telling us, hey, we're shutting everything down again, and it's kind of just one of those odd moments uh, in there, and then that blew up my phone and blew up a bunch of other things. So, you know, what we're seeing is just the impact, right? And then uh, things kind of stopping and starting and stuff like that. But uh, generally speaking, all good. And, um, you know, we're just kind of trying to plow forward and figure out how to make yeah, things work. Very good. Very good. So, and Chris, how's things going in your neck yeah. of the woods? Yeah, yeah we're, uh, we're suffering through a minor drought at the moment. <laughs> yeah, not enough rain. But oh, wow. it's great if you're like outdoor activities like I do. I've, uh, I used to use the rain to kind of limit how much I did them, and now I have to sit and watch all the wonderful weather outside on those days you have to take off just to rest. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but yeah, no, that's so great. You play, if I'm not mistaken, frisbee golf or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. yeah, every day. Is, every day, that, all day, if I can help it. <laughs> did that get stopped during the... Yep. Um, did you have special rules about wiping the disc down? No, <laughs> nothing like that. No, they shut down all the parks. You couldn't do anything. So you just sat in your yard right. and did putting practice or went to a field and, you know, threw. And that was super not fun. <laughs> but, yeah, no, those have all opened up nice. again with, you know, strict guidelines. The same you have everywhere else. Don't, you know, go kissing people you don't know, that sort of thing. But yeah. <laughs> keep your distance and whatnot. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it's it's back in action. We're out there playing every day just about. And it's something I get to do with the missus, so Excellent. it works out really well. So one thing I did want to bring up is something that we did a couple of years ago, and we actually saw, I kid you not, a ghost. <laughs> We're going to tell you where this ghost was. Uh, so something you can do in the middle of this thing that's going on is, you know, go traveling, or, or traveling as in driving your car to places and staying inside your car. Uh, but one of those things you can do is covered bridges. And, you know, some people like to come to New Hampshire for leaf peeping and stuff like that. And they're like, well, what do I do? How do I go? And one of the ways you can get away with doing that is doing a covered bridge journey, if you will. There's like hmm. 55 of them in New Hampshire, a bunch of them in Vermont. Yep. And our favorite place in Vermont is Stowe. We don't even ski. I don't know why it's our favorite place. It just is. <laughs> but it's nice. I mean, in summertime, you can go there. It's beautiful. Uh, and you can hike and you can fish and you can do all that nonsense that you like to do outside. But we decided to go to a haunted cover bridge. They call it Emily's Bridge. Apparently, this person named Emily, who may or may not have existed, died on this bridge. And some people have gone there with Ouija boards and whatnot and said, Oh, yeah, the ghost told me she was Emily. 
not entirely certain how valid those claims are, <laughs> but we went and we saw the carrier of spirits. If you if you follow, some people say that a butterfly visits you. It's a spirit visiting from the beyond or whatnot. So this particular day, wow. this one butterfly followed us everywhere. I don't even know why. We had nothing that was interesting to the butterfly. So yeah, we saw a ghost. Emily's butterfly. <laughs> so is that where um, Bridges of Madison County is that? No, that's, no a, that's another place. No, no. there's no, covered bridges everywhere. No, we're very, we're very known area. for covered bridges up here. Just like you, know, and they're still wow. here. They're not gone like the old man in the mountain or segways. They're still here. They still, still nice. have. Them. Yeah, yes. so I mean, it's it's kind of a you know a hokey thing to do, I guess. But you know, if you need a reason to go leaf peeping or some thing to check off on your list, you know, a covered bridge journey is pretty neat. It's like a dive yeah. into history, and they're so tiny. They're just made for one horse to go down, so it's pretty wild how, you know, big but also small these things are. And all made out of wood, it's wild. Yeah. No, they're, also, you can see a ghost if you go to the right awesome. one. They're great to fish yeah. off of, too. You know? They're super fun. Now, my uncle had one not too far from his house. We'd go up there and visit every once in a while. So that was, that was pretty cool. Gotta love it. You know, I was going to tell you the junior high camp that we go to every year has a frisbee golf camp, uh, you know, course, but it's in the they forest all are up here. Yeah. And so there's definitely uh, there's definitely a little bit of a risk of uh, getting lost. It's not <laughs> that try, hard to, to know where to go, Rob. <laughs> no, I'm just saying obvious. at this particular camp. At this particular oh. camp, right? <laughs> it, just, it just happens to be. They have to take the dog and them out and just yell, hello, yes, K9, exactly. help find you. <laughs> you're going you're looking for Joey at 9 o'clock at night because he <laughs> lost his Frisbee. And, so. so apparently in Taiwan, people are, you know, with COVID are, are getting a little bit frustrated that they can't travel and all that. I don't know if you saw this on the news, but, but they've started doing what they call fake flights. So basically the experience is that you... You know, you go to the airport, you check in, you go through passport control, and you actually get on a, a plane, go through security, but you go absolutely nowhere. You know, and, and it's like a hug from an airport. <laughs> Why? But apparently, Why? ten thousand people have applied to take part. You know, and they have a competition with Why? winners and everything. <laughs> You've just won. You wasted your entire Why? day award. <laughs> wow. Who can stand in TSA the longest? But they had 30 winners each day, and the event is oh, actually God. shown live, you know. And the best bit, each winner can bring a friend. No. Oh, well, now that sells me. I'm going to go sit in an airport for two hours just to win. There you go. Oh my god! I mean, it's it's yeah. the, it's the worst bit is going through security and everything. Why, why, why would you want to do? We're not going that? anywhere. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> oh my god! That's outstanding. That's like non-alcoholic beer, is what that is. <laughs> what the hell's the point? <laughs> So in AppScan News, we've, you know, not got had as busy a time as we had in the last couple of weeks, but we still have a couple of things. Chris, we've had a release of Code Sweep, so a second release. Yeah, and there's there's quite a few things in there that are really good. It, it's got the, uh, the context highlighting now, which is nice. It helps you a little bit more about where the code is that we're talking about it finding. Cool. Um, also, if you have VS Code and you have a supported file type that we do support, it should now say, hey, look, it, you can get this wonderful free security scanner um, and run it. And I encourage everyone to do just that. I mean, it, 
It's literally, we built it for you to use. We didn't build it to sell things. We're not making any money on it. We just want yeah. you to be more secure and it's free. You don't have to pay for it. And so now we're hoping this lets them know about that. Yeah, that's the cool thing is that it's free and, you know, it, it's that community sort of spirit, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and a lot of folks don't even know is like, oh, this is made by a big company. No, it's free. We're giving it away. We're not sure why we're giving it away. We probably need to have our heads examined, but we're giving it away. Yeah, and and we had a we had a release of ASOC just yesterday, or probably even today, really, when it first went through. So I I haven't even had the chance to digest that. Do you know what's in that our latest release of ASOC? Yeah, so a couple of things. Our our static analysis engine now does Groovy, which is nice. We're having more language support. Um. Seems every week these days. Jeez, mm. just pumping them out. Uh, but also some quality of life improvements because quality of life improvements matter. People are asking for these. So Swagger can be opened automatically from the UI settings page. So for those of okay. you that want to interact with ASOC in, a, in an API sense, that is now even easier than it's ever been before. You don't have to use the UI. You can use these API calls and do the same work however you want to hook it up to whatever you want to hook it up to. Um, scans under review can be deleted, and that's... That's nice. So if you send something up that you really don't care about or it was an accident, perhaps, or things of that nature, and perhaps it couldn't get analyzed, you can just get rid of it and go on about your day. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yep. it's come up for me in testing a lot. I don't know how often it comes up for, for customers, but certainly for yeah. me, it's going to be a quality of life improvement. So that's nice. And it may. I mean, I heard about a, a, somebody over the weekend who did a couple hundred DAST scans you know, in about a 40 hour period. So that's just, I mean, it's great that you're able to do that many and be able to do that specific, but it's also nice to be able to kind of get through those things a little bit faster and get to the ones yeah. that really matter and, you know, eliminate the noise. Right. And we, we've talked about that so many times on this about just getting rid of noise and getting to what really matters. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's all, it's all quality of life improvements. And I'm sure there's, there's other stuff that's in there that we don't necessarily feel needs to be pushed out um, in terms of app scan news, like defect fixes and such. Um, which happens every time we do a push, which is, you know, every two to three weeks or so. So constant, right. constant improvement. I'm just always impressed that we always have something to talk about, you know. Yeah, that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's good. It's pretty cool. We've been over the last three episodes, well, this being the third one, so the last two before this, we've been talking about our view on continuous security. So the, the final part of that, um, and I guess Rob and Chris, you know, we have a little bit of a discussion on this, is really talking about the final part of that continuous security journey, which is what we call the assurance phase, which takes in two features, and two probably of the most important, one being security audit, and one being measurement and metric. You know, I'm quite passionate about the security audit piece, having worked in that sort of field in the past. But the, the real key here for me is that security audit needs to be something a little bit more than just the end of life cycle. It's not just your pen testers scanning your application at the end and, and moving things in. They They really need to take the ownership of the whole process and, when we talked previously around governance, you know, they should be checking that we're actually adhering to that governance. Yeah, I think the thing too that, that we talked about, we, we talked about this kind of in our webinar and in some of the other places where we've now been hitting continuous security, is that what you're talking about in the audit space 
gets back into things like your backlog and influencing your development. And so it's not just that checkbox mentality mm. or even trying to comply with a regulation, but you're using that, that audit information and the things that you're finding to drive some of the, the product behavior. And, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about this a little bit with Raj too, on how those kinds of things can influence and make for a better product. So getting that audit information, you know, and using it throughout the pipeline, not just having it, you know, at, at the end and saying, yes, you know, we're good here. Yeah, no, something that always, always struck me is when it comes to auditing, folks like to say, well, we're ready for an audit, but are you really? I mean, somebody is going to look at this. Somebody is going to ask to see this, and it's not going to be someone who works for your company. It's going to be a third party or it's going to be a government. And you need to be ready. Well, and it could even be internal, right? I heard a story from a friend of mine that were asked one time to go and do secure coding. They were told, hey, we, we have a, a guide, right? We have a secure coding guide. So they were like, can I see it? And long story short, it took three visits to three different developers to prove that they didn't actually have one. <laughs> and then another three weeks to actually go find on the internet somewhere where someone had put <laughs> something. So... That someone, like you said, is going to ask and come be ready. So. And it should inform everything. I mean, if you're getting ready for somebody else yeah. to look at it, it keeps you honest, right? It keeps you on the up and up. Right. You can't be lazy about this stuff. You have to have real stuff. It's a super important part of um, what we're trying to get across. And then the measurement piece, uh, obviously, that's, that's how we sort of determine where things are right or wrong and whether the program is mm -hmm. working. And there's a lot of things that people traditionally look at in security, right? The number of vulnerabilities over time and, and how many critical ones and things like that. So when we talk about the metrics, you know, we're talking beyond just some of those basic kind of where are we with security, but really how are we doing with risk? Um, how are we with overall health, if you will, right? So when you think about metrics and, and things like that, you know, you're measuring data, so you're taking all these data points, right? And the number of vulnerabilities, the number of issues, uh, how long it takes to fix, those kinds of things. But when you when you look at the metrics, you're looking at the relationships between those. So you're comparing some of those measures and, and you wanna be able to answer questions like, are we healthier than yeah. we were a year ago? Um, are we moving in the right direction? If, if you're doing secure coding and you're trying to educate people, like we talked about in, in an earlier podcast, can you tell how that's going? Do you know the impact of a particular kind of secure coding and what that did ultimately to lowering the risk uh, for your development pipeline and, and things like that? So what we really want to be able to do is get to the ones that make a real difference. And so that, to me, is about things that, that have a tangible impact on lowering risk, on raising efficiency, increasing optimization, things like that. And I'm really looking forward to what uh, some of the things I think Raj is going to touch on, on how we can do that better, the things that we really pay attention to when we talk about making product decisions and, and what really matters yeah, And I there. guess the, the, whole, the whole concept of continuous security is that we're measuring things to make decisions about how to, how to make improvements. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, you know, it's what closes the loop out and starts it all over again, you know, so, so, so. Exactly. For this week's interview, it's my pleasure to welcome our Vice President for Product Management, Raj Iyer. Raj, very, very pleased to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Colin. Pleasure to I, be here. It's great. 
you know, HDL software is now just one year old. Um, you know, many congratulations on that. I know you've played a very important part in that. Can you tell us how you've, yeah, you know, a little bit about the HDL portfolio? Absolutely. So we just turned one year uh, old, you know, on July 1st, um, because we, as you know, um, HCL Software was a brand that we launched uh, in July 1st uh, of 2019. And a big part of that was a direct result of the acquisition of specific products, including AppScan uh, from IBM. But as I like to say, Colin, we are young, we're just one year old, but we were not born yesterday. All of our products, all of our IP has been in production for over a decade, sometimes two decades. Our portfolio is very broad. It includes products as diverse as uh, Notes. A lot of customers might know Lotus Notes as uh, you know the dominant email platform. Uh, Domino for application development. Uh, it includes uh, new products like Domino Vault for low-code application development, course connections, and the digital experience portfolio. All of it are part of what we call digital solutions. We have uh, enterprise-grade applications. Uh, in the customer experience uh, arena. And these include uh, HCL Commerce for e-commerce websites and multi-channel, omni-channel commerce. It includes Unica for digital marketing and our DX suite for digital experience. We then have a very rich set of uh, products in the DevOps portfolio. And of course, AppScan uh, with V10 uh, enables what we call secure DevOps or DevSecOps. And within DevOps, we have everything that you can imagine from HCL Accelerate, which is our value stream management uh, software, HCL uh, Launch. And then we have one test, which is the test portfolio. So if you look at our DevOps portfolio, that's HCL IP, HCL branded IP uh, that covers the entire spectrum from value stream management uh, to launch or deployment to testing. And then of course, embellished and enriched by AppScan for security. And then last but not the least, we have the security and automation portfolio, a big part of which is BigFix, which handles endpoint security, and then HCL workload automation, which handles workload automation. So uh, across the board, we also have a set of uh, common components for native cloud deployment. We have common components for data management and integration. We also have tools that address mainframe data access and mainframe transactional access. So when you put it all together, we have a very rich portfolio of proven products. These have been in the industry for a long time. We have thousands of customers that have been using these products in a mission critical manner. It's really uh, exciting to be part of HCL software at this time. No, it certainly is, and I, I can vouch for that because we, we're very excited to be in HCL software as well. But what, what are some of the guiding principles that you have in relation to the, 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 such a broad range? So we have six principles, Colin, and we live our life as product managers, product engineers, product development to those principles. The most important principle is customer first. So we are maniacally focused on customer success. And that's something that transcends not just the product teams, but also sales services and uh, in, indeed the whole of HCL. In fact, our tagline is relationship beyond the contract. For product development, specifically what that means is we engage with our customers throughout the product life cycle. Starting with ideation, we work with customers to prioritize the features and capabilities that they want to see in the product. We work them to, uh, with them to make sure then that whatever features and functions we build in the product are in sync with their requirements. We uh, are very uh, 
very keen in terms of continuous engagement and transparent development. So we engage with our sponsor customers and sponsor business partners throughout the life cycle. And at the end of the day, when we launch the products, we want to make sure that they add value to our customers. So we very rigorously track adoption metrics, engagement metrics, and customer success metrics. So the first principle is always uh, for any feature that makes it to our roadmap, who's the sponsor customer? How many customers are really asking for it? What is the customer impact? So that's the first principle, uh, customer success. The second principle then is what we call market leadership. And what that really means, Colin, is we are interested in addressing very specific market problems, uh, occupying a very specific segment within chosen markets. So we don't want to be all things to all people, but we want to pick certain segments in the markets that we play in. And within those segments, we want to have highly differentiated positions. So it's almost like uh, when you look at, for example, application security testing, we decided that we will focus on being the best testing software out there. But then we also specifically defined and said, going forward, our focus is going to be DevOps and secure DevOps. And within DevOps, we've then further segmented our position to address specific types of testing as opposed to being everything for everybody. The same can be said about every product in our portfolio. We are very uh, focused in specific market segments, and within those segments, we have highly differentiated positions. And what that eventually means is we get to be number one or two or three in many of our markets. The third principle is around innovation. In fact, one of the uh, commitments that uh, I made on behalf of the product management team and all of our product managers, all of our product development teams made, uh, first of all, to ourselves, but then also to our customers and our management, was within one year of the acquisition, each of our products would have a major release with at least three new wow innovations. And so we acquired seven products. Uh, that acquisition closed on, on June 30th of 2019. And ha I'm happy to report as of June 30th, 2020, we have had major releases with three new wow innovations. And in fact, in some cases, more than three innovations. And in some cases, more than those seven products that we acquired. Uh, we have actually five new modules that we released uh, we have some net new IP that we created from scratch organically. We put them all together, integrated it, and we released it to the market. And when I use the term wow innovation, it's not something I use in the common colloquial sense of the term. It actually has a very specific meaning. An innovation is called a wow innovation, number one. If, for instance, uh, Colin, an app scan innovation would be a wow innovation. If you were to go and stand up in a room full of app scan practitioners and you announced it, uh, would you get a standing ovation? So, so we have this metric called the applause meter. Similarly, if you then tweeted about it, or if you posted on LinkedIn, what was the buzz, you know, the likes and the forwards and the retweets that you would get from that innovation? So yeah. we call it the buzz meter. Um, is that innovation going to lead to something bigger next year and something even bigger the year after? So is it a strategic innovation in a sequence of innovations uh, that build on each other and have a multiplicative effect? We call it the Lego meter. And then the last one is, for us, ultimately is a driving adoption and customer success. Okay, we call it the success meter. So if an innovation does not pass these four tests, the applause meter, the buzz meter, the Lego meter, and the adoption success meter, right? it's not a wow innovation. So we have a, a, our own process to uh, vet a number of candidate innovations and pick the ones that make the cut. It's something that I'm very happy uh, to have evolved 
co-evolved with my product management colleagues and, and the product owners. Uh, so that's the third principle is innovation. And we want to make sure it's a continuous process. The fourth principle is employees first. Again, HCL is very well known. Uh, in fact, one of our CEOs wrote a book called uh, Employees First, Customer Second. And the premise of that book was, we are a talent business. If you take care of your top talent, uh, you recruit, you motivate, you retain the talent, and you give them the right value system and the right empowerment, uh, then customers get taken care of, market leadership gets taken care of, innovation gets taken care of. So um, a big part of our focus last year has been to hire, uh, and in some cases, double and triple our development teams so that we could deliver uh, more features, more capabilities faster to the marketplace. We have 20 innovation centers around the globe, pretty much every major innovation center in the world, starting with the Silicon Valley, uh, to the Boston Route 128 area, to the Research Triangle Park area, to Israel, where we have our cybersecurity experts, to London, to Bangalore, to Perth, uh, we have large centers. Mm -hmm. And over the last few years that we've been around, uh, we've been uh, hiring and building talent pools in all of these centers. That's our fourth principle, is employees first. We then have two specific initiatives, uh, but they are so strategic that we have elevated them to the position of principles. The first is cloud native. So again, because a lot of our products that we acquired are historically uh, uh, products that were on-premise products, I know AppScan is a little bit of an exception because you have ASOC. Uh, because a lot of our product portfolio had an on-prem heritage, uh, one of our focus areas was to cloud nativeize, if you will, our product portfolio. Uh, so we have a very elaborate set of maturity models and processes and roadmap items, uh, starting with containerizing our products, dockerizing them, making sure they work on a Kubernetes cluster, uh, making sure that we take our products and decompose them into REST APIs so that you can stitch together product functionality and consume them as needed, working on the consumability of our products so that you don't have to pay for the whole portfolio. If you're just using a part of our product, then you have a commercial model that lets you grow based on a utility-like computing model, and so on and so on. So there's a whole set of principles that we call cloud-native. So cloud-native, I'm happy to announce that 80% of our products are at various stages of cloud-native maturity. We have taken that big journey, and we are aggressively pursuing it. And last but not the least, the sixth principle is security and trust. And as an AppScan uh, you know, enthusiast, you know that uh, AppScan has a direct role uh, in terms of enhancing the security of applications. Uh, but in our case, security and trust is three things. First, it's security and trust in what we build. Uh, the products, the features within those products that cater to security, trust, privacy, and governance. Second, it's how we build our products. Uh, many of our customers are large uh, government and defense and large financial institutions, public utilities, banks, insurance companies, things like that. Uh, they're all security conscious. They have uh, privacy rules like GDPR uh, that they need to worry about. So uh, the way we build our products, the processes we follow, the secure build, the way we support our products, the way we make sure that uh, business identifiable information, personally identifiable information is protected, all of those things uh, cater to the second aspect, which is security and trust in how we build our products. And the third aspect there is a security culture. So as HCL software rights, we are always learning and improving and sensitizing ourselves 
to the security and trust connotations of what's happening in the larger ecosystem. So there you go, Colin. Those are our six principles. Customers That's first, brilliant. leadership, continuous innovation, employees first, cloud native, and security and trust. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like how it's not just uh, you know the four-letter word innovation without yeah. any actual. <laughs> how do you actually innovate behind it? That's nice. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack in there. Um, Raj, I so appreciate too just the idea of transparent development and keying in on DevSecOps and DevOps and things like that. But with such a broad portfolio, right? When it gets down to an individual product. Um, how are you guys optimizing product decisions, you know, for things like AppScan or maybe one test or some of the other offerings that are out there? Um, how do we, you know, help make some of those optimization decisions? Yeah, uh, thank you, Rob. I think that's, <laughs> you, you cut to the heart of uh, what it means to be a product manager. Uh, because <laughs> a product manager's life is uh, learning the fine art of saying no. And sometimes saying no to your colleagues, uh, to the sales guys who come in enthusiastically representing the voice of the customer uh, or even to your boss uh, because you're constantly bombarded with requirements uh, that various stakeholders want to see in a product. Right. Uh, so for us, the first tool is the guiding principles, the six principles that I talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, prioritize our products based on that. Uh, operationally, what that means is we look at our backlog. So we uh, have a system called AHA. Again, it's an open cloud-based system where not only uh, us, but our customers, business partners, all the users of our products uh, have access to it and they can submit product ideas, uh, which then forms part of our product backlog. So we uh, take our backlog very seriously. Uh, we have a very active customer advocacy program. So uh, for our top customers, we have lab advocates and customer advocates. Uh, and of course, our technical advisors who are spending a lot of time with them directly. That then leads to a lot of inputs which we prioritize into the roadmap. We, of course, do a lot of uh, outside-in kinds of analysis, particularly vis-a-vis -vis our competitors. And so we look at where uh, they are headed. We look at what problem domains they're addressing. And in some cases, uh, that also informs uh, specific gaps or specific areas where we need to prioritize our time and effort. We speak to analysts. Uh, in fact, I have personally spoken to over 50, um, had over 50 analyst calls in the last one year. Uh, they are a rich source of uh, information and guidance uh, to our product roadmaps. But ultimately, it boils down to what are the biggest customer problems that we can solve? What are the biggest customer opportunities that we can enable? So all of these things, and then, and then of course, sales comes in with their sort of requirements in terms of uh, what they are hearing in the marketplace. So it's a, it's a very complex set of criteria. We put it through a, through a, a, a shaker and a blender, if you will. And we prioritize those features that have the biggest bang for the buck for our customers. So Raj, yeah, I mean, with the maniacal focus that we have, right, on customer success and that being kind of one of our core guiding principles, um, I'm curious, what are some of the approaches that you have towards customer research, um, determining their needs? You mentioned a minute ago, just being bombarded, right, from different directions. So how do we sort through kind of the customer research and things that we're seeing and the needs that they have? That's an important question. Yeah, I mentioned it, when I talked about the six principles, uh, we have a customer, uh, a sponsor customer program, and we have a customer advocacy program. Uh, these are structured programs. The customer advocacy program is quite simple. It's folks from the labs in a capacity that enables our customers to realize value 
from the investments they've made. So they're not salespeople. They're not trying to push additional products, licenses, anything like that. Uh, their, their sole focus is to make sure that our customers deploy our products, deploy them successfully, have the right architecture, and derive value from them. And of course, as if they're stuck anywhere in that process, uh, then the lab advocates are a direct line, uh, especially for the more, more hairy technical problems, uh, to, to short circuit the whole support process. Uh, the important thing about our uh, customer and lab advocacy program, we have folks from the lab who spend a lot of time with a few customers. Uh, usually these tend to be strategic customers who are power users of our products. So in some ways, we get a lot of direct input from them in terms of what's, what works, what doesn't work, what needs improvement. Sometimes even what they don't tell us is, is telling uh, in some ways because that's, that's an example of an omission uh, that we sometimes need to rectify in our product roadmap. The second program we have is a more explicit uh, transparent development focused program and that is our sponsor customer program. Sponsor customers and sponsor business partners. So before we do any major release, uh, we solicit and source and sign up customers who are interested in partnering with us to, to really evolve the products. And so in many cases, our customers uh, have better ideas than we do because they're using our products. In many cases, they uh, come up with ideas that are very contrarian. And in many cases, they validate what we've already heard. So, so this, this is a, a very nice program because it benefits us. It also benefits our customers because they get to shape the roadmap of the product, prioritize the features that are important to them, and hence derive more business value. Uh, so the sponsor program works something like this. You know, a, a customer signs up with us. Uh, we then have a, a kickoff session with them uh, about the next release. And, and then depending on the, uh, the product team, the format might be somewhat different. Uh, we might do a more of an agile jam session with them, uh, focused on specific topical areas. Or we might do something that's much more strategic, where we look at uh, the big hairy problems in, in specific domains, and we ask them some very open-ended questions, and we, we look at their aspirations of where they want to go. Uh, sometimes it tends to be very feature function driven, very tactical, very operational. But regardless, uh, there are multiple sets of engagements that we have with, with sponsor customers and business partners. Sometimes they tend to be jam sessions. Sometimes they tend to be factory tours, lab tours. Sometimes mm -hmm. they tend to be like an open-ended beta, uh, a constant beta program, like never, always on beta program. And what I've seen over the last year is you have accelerated significantly our sponsor user program. So now we have more than 500 sponsor users, sponsor customers across our portfolio. Uh, these are the two formal programs. Now, beyond that, uh, our business partners are a big part of, uh, uh, you know, uh, prioritizing and shaping our roadmap uh, because many of them are implementers of our products. So they give us valuable input. When we develop our products, we again take it back to our customers, make sure they beta test it. Then there are early adopter programs, so they adopt it, they get into production. Yep. The lab advocates have a big role in, you know, to play in making sure that we short circuit that process. And we work all the way through converting a customer to a happy reference customer. Yeah. Mm. That's, That's awesome. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I want to um, I want to take a little moment and flip this uh, to a slightly different topic and and go into security, which tends to be a little bit like the poltergeist of the software development world. People are scared of it. It worries them. It's it's hard to do. Um, but I want to ask a little bit different of a question and say, what part of security just excites you? It gets you you know amped up in the morning and to go after and protect these these things that we need to protect the data the, the pi information the, you know gdpr certification all that stuff 
What do you look forward to when it comes to security? So excites is a loaded word because sometimes security simultaneously excites and scares me at the same time. Uh, so I'm excited at multiple levels. Yeah, kind of like seeing a ghost. It'd be awesome and horrifying. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so you could have your good days and your bad days, but never a boring one. Um, uh, there are two things. First of all, uh, speaking for security, the domain itself. Um, I've had the pleasure and the privilege of having worked in the security domain. I worked with, uh, you know, federal government, military installations on security operation centers, building them out, doing, um, you know, GSOCs for joint services, that kind of work. And the thing that has always amazed me about the domain is how the threat profile uh, tends to evolve over time, you know? At least in the last decade, threat profiles were mostly from governments and, and rogue uh, agents and hackers and things like that. Uh, they were small scale. They were largely manual, required a lot of uh, secret sauce and you know specific deep domain knowledge. In the security area, you had to be on top of the next uh, zero-day exploit, wherever you could get your hands on. Uh, it was it was a, it was in some ways. I would call the good old days. Uh, because when you had that kind of a threat profile, uh, you could have a response to it that was also proportional. You know, in response to a, a few hackers, a few smart hackers, you could have a few smart counter hackers uh, who could protect your systems and your, your periphery and so on. What has happened over the last decade, and it's increasingly getting uh, more acute, more pronounced, is that the security threat profile is changing. The actors are changing. Now it's more commercial. Now it's more a for-profit kind of engagement. It's not just rogue governments, uh, but it's really smart people doing this for a living with a lot of money involved. Now most of your uh, security threat comes from automated agents. And all that wonderful technology around big data and artificial intelligence that we have used in, in AppScan, for instance, to reduce scan time and reduce false positives is also something that can be used to probe for and generate new kinds of uh, threats. So, so again, that, that landscape is evolving, so, which means now to protect your perimeter, to protect your systems, to protect your data and applications, um, you also need a likewise more automated, more intelligent, uh, more real-time kind of approach. So from that perspective, I find this domain to be constantly evolving, and I just find it to be some an area where uh, for a technology or for a geek, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rich minefield of ideas. And more importantly, it's something we need to do a, a really good job of. And this is where I like AppScan because AppScan has a very critical role to play. Uh, the second area that I really get excited by is the democratization of security. So if you look at you know, even a product like AppScan maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, and, and anybody who's an you know, AppScan source customer or AppScan standard customer who's tried to interpret uh, a remediation message will we'll identify with this. It was a product meant for security testers, built by security testers. Okay. <laughs> so it was in some ways, you needed a PhD in security, you know, and, and, and large banks or customers of ours have hundreds of pen testers whose job it is and, and who, have, who have deep credentials in this area and who love a product like AppScan because it can go very deep. It can identify threats that are uh, insanely complex and nuanced. It can do that, you know, especially with AppScan v9 and v10, very fast and very accurately. But still, in the old days, pre-v10, I would say, 
it was largely a little bit of an ivory tower exercise, a little bit of a high priest kind of exercise. With V10, we've taken the first big step to democratize uh, security testing. We brought it from the security office to the mainstream DevOps shop floor, if you will, right? So we have evolved AppScan to plug into tool chains natively through REST APIs, through direct connectivity to all kinds of systems like Jenkins and Jira and what have you. We have radically simplified the um, ability to decide the trade-off between security and accuracy, right? Scan depth versus scan accuracy through the slider mechanism. So when you are in the dev part of DevOps, you move the slider all the way to the left, you get a quick and dirty scan. Well, it's not dirty, it's quick. Uh, so you may not go very deep, but you get good enough results in a time scale, on a time scale that a developer cares about, right? You don't want to wait for hours for a scan to complete, maybe minutes. And that's part of your tool chain. So the moment you check in your code, the scan is initiated and it gives you a good broad coverage of your SEV1 defects. And of course, when you're in the ops part of DevOps, before you put your product into production, you move the slider <clears throat> all the way to the right and you get a very detailed scan. So we have capabilities like this. Uh, we came up with IAST and we came up with um, the, the notion of faster scans, more accurate scans, uh, reduce false positives. And we have taken the, 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 the right steps in terms of making sure that there are messages, our security messages uh, are in developer speak as opposed to security speak. So uh, when you put it all together, we have seen a rapid democratization of security testing. And now, you know, a, a regular DevOps engineer gets the power and depth and security of a world-class application security testing platform. That's the second thing that excites me a lot, is the whole domain is getting more and more democratized. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? We're less yeah. of an expert-friendly tool than we've ever been. <laughs> be our favorite thing to call it. <laughs> I always like that term, expert friendly. Expert yeah. friendly. <laughs> so Raj, just just one final question because I I know it's uh, it's getting late for you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Just to finish on a, a note around HCL software again, what provides you, would you say, with the greatest satisfaction around HCL software? So, I spent almost a decade at IBM. Before that, I, I, I was part of a big um, financial transformation exercise with Computer Sciences and, and Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which then merged to form DXE. And even before that, I was uh, uh, in the Silicon Valley where I did a bunch of startups. I think HCL to me represents a company that in, in many ways blends the best of all of these experiences I've had with these various firms. We have the the respect for the individual, the focus on entrepreneurship, focus on long-term thinking that you see with uh, the most successful companies in the world. HCL has been around for more than 40 years. I, I have yet to come across a company where uh, employees are respected and cared for uh, as deeply um, as I've seen at HCL. Um, the other thing I like about HCL is the focus on the long-term. So when we did the acquisition of uh, some of these products, we made a commitment that this is not a short-term investment. We are not a private equity firm. So the idea is not to you know, buy into a revenue stream, cut costs, and just milk the SNS and make a profit out of it and maybe turn it around in a few years. Uh, that would be something that short-term firms do. The idea is we will take some of the best talent in the industry, some of the best products, 
with some of the best customers, make serious investments, not for a year or two years, but for the next decade, and really build a world-class software company that we can all be proud to be a part of. I think you've seen this even in the last year. I've been with the company now almost three years, and I'm sure you've all seen uh, some of those things play out as well. The last thing I would say, and perhaps in some ways the most important, is HCL has a soul. The amount of work, uh, and I've been I've been part of some of the charities that HCL is uh, sponsoring. HCL, by the way, is one of the largest uh, private and, and corporate charities uh, in in India, and you know some of the work they do with. Uh, schools with uh, you know adopting villages, 500 villages in 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 Uttar Pradesh, where they've adopted, and they're really transforming. There are HCLites living in those villages uh, day after day for years, transforming various aspects of life, um, bringing technology and bringing best practices. And and across the world, you know, we've we've done a number of those kinds of um, you know, social activities. So this firm represents the best uh, values. Uh, that I have come to respect, uh, you know, in my career. And in some ways, you know, what can be better than that? You work for a company, you do a lot of fun work, you work in exciting areas like application security and marketing and customer experience and application development and automation. And you work with some of the best people in some of the best innovation centers around the world. You have the empowerment to go do what's right for the business and what's right for the customers. And you give back uh, along the way. And that's what excites me about HCL. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, you, you sort of spark on a lot of things that excites us as well about it. It's certainly my from my perspective. But Raj, look, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and really appreciate you joining our podcast this week. You know, very much so. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Chris. Thank yeah. you, Rob. That, thank you. you also. That drags us to the end of another wonderful episode. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much, Chris. You are quite welcome. It's always a pleasure. Fun. Thank you very Look much. Look out for ghosts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man. I don't know where you come up with this stuff, Chris, but yeah.